Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of the NHL Trade Talk podcast. My name is Jim Parsons. I'm here with NHLTradeTalk.com, also right for the HockeyWriters.com. This is going to be a very special show today. I had a lot of fun with this one. Tom Gazzola of TSN, uh, formerly of the Edmonton Oilers, does some correspondence for the NHL Network. He's going to be a guest on today's show. We're going to talk strictly about the Edmonton Oilers, what's going on. And the timing of this couldn't be anything more than perfect because Ryan McLeod has signed with the Edmonton Oilers today for $798,000 for one year. Uh, It is a contract that is really good value for the Edmonton Oilers. And there are questions about whether or not this contract is going to allow the Oilers to avoid a trade, which we believe, uh, if you're looking at this Oilers team closely, is inevitable. They're probably going to have to make a move here. They are over the salary cap and need to get under it before the season starts. So we're going to talk to Tom all about what the Oilers are up to, uh, if there's trades in the works, if there's something that's coming, if it's inevitable, is it Jesse Pugliarvi? Is it Tyson Berry? Is it Warren Fogle? We're going to ask all those questions of Tom, and he's going to take some time to answer them. So this is that interview. We hope that you enjoy the episode. Don't forget, you can download and subscribe to this. Uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd greatly appreciate it. And in advance, we'd like to thank Tom Gazzola for taking the time to talk to us. Enjoy. everybody back to another edition of the NHL Trade Talk podcast. This one's a little bit different today. We're going to be focused on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, specifically, we have Tom Gazzola with us. Uh, he is an avid Oilers uh, reporter, analyst. He's got podcasts. He does all sorts of things for TSN. He used to work for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, so he's on the show with us today. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you almost said the fan, didn't you? There was a time in my life. There was a time in my life. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things. I I mean people behind me know I'm a huge fan, but as I cover the team, I have to kind of go don't write like a fan even though you kind of are a fan, you don't want to come across too much that way, but there are a lot of fans when it comes yes. to the Edmonton Oilers and there are a ton of passionate people in this market uh that are really looking to see what comes next. And when we talk about trades, which is kind of what we do on this podcast, the Oilers are one of many teams that probably are going to have to do something. They're over the salary cap. Uh, I don't know how many teams at this point are over the cap. It's probably nine or 10. Yep. Uh, the Oilers are in that group. I guess I'll start by asking you, is there, and I've heard you talk about it on your shows, that they could run with a short roster, but is it inevitable that the Oilers are going to have to make a trade here before the season gets going? Yeah, I, I, the, the short roster thing is an option, but it's it's a bad one. I mean, injuries could factor in the farm teams not in their backyard stuff like that uh, could lead to hypothetically the team playing shorthanded for some games and you never want to see that it's a it's a tough situation to put yourself in so yes uh, the simplest solution Jim is is a trade and uh, you know when they get all the LTIR stuff done and when they get the rookie bonuses on the ELCs handled with the young guys making or being on the roster for the first day um, and then maybe getting sent down, likely getting sent down one or two of them. Um, they're still going to be a little bit over. So a trade has to happen. And it's just a, it's a harsh reality. The team has put itself in this position. But I do think that uh, Ken Holland and the brass uh, knew that this would be a likely scenario if they were unable to unload some salary earlier in the offseason. So it's it's a harsh reality. It's not a good one, but it's one that a third of the league is dealing with right now, like you alluded to. Do you think it was a situation where the Oilers thought they might have had something, you know, on the go where they're like, okay, we think we've got this trade and that just didn't pan out? 
Or were they maybe just thinking, you know what, we'll deal with this when we have to deal with this. And now it's become quite evident that it's much harder to make a trade this offseason for any team than anybody ever anticipated. Was it something, is it the first or the second where they like, oh, we've got something and it just didn't materialize? Or they're like, oh man, we, we didn't see this coming. I, I From what my understanding is, talking to people, especially throughout the summer and, and after the team was eliminated from the playoffs, they had hope that they would be able to make some moves and those moves didn't necessarily pan out. Now they were able to get guys off the books. Zach Cassian was a big one that was important to do. Um, and then, you know, they thought that maybe at the draft or somewhere around free agency, they'd be able to unload some other contracts, but it, you know, you don't have to jump the gun necessarily until after free agency opens up to, to make these moves. So uh, I think that they, knew that the possibility of where they're at now could occur. I don't think they necessarily thought they would be, you know, in, in this jam, but it's one they can get out of. Uh, and they're obviously going to have to find a way to do it. But yeah, I think they were actively trying to, to make moves to make sure that they could avoid this, but uh, they weren't able to make that happen. So they were active. It just never came to fruition. So when we say that there are moves that they can make, um, there's a lot of talk about who is potentially yeah. going out. The common name seems to be Jesse Pugliarvi. Uh, Do you believe that that's kind of the guy that most people should be looking at? Uh, and if it is, how if that move is made, how many people are going to go, oh man, that's a bummer when he's gone? Because there's a mix of people who are like, some really love Pugliarvi and some are yeah. not sold on Pugliarvi. And sometimes a player is not missed until he's gone. So uh, is Pugliarvi kind of the number one target here for the Oilers? The short answer is yes. Uh, he's at the top of the list contractually, uh, just the situation he's in. Um, yeah, it's Jesse Pugliarvi. And then the other is Warren Fogle. I know a lot of people have floated out the idea of Tyson Berry. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, especially with the defense and the way it is now. And you're hearing Jason Demers coming in on a PTO. I don't think Jason Demers can replace what Tyson Berry does. Berry's well, really well liked in that room. And, you know, you might not like the way he plays defensively. Um, he still provides a lot of offense. And and so there is value to him. And if they need to, somewhere down the road during the season, they could look at moving him. But I don't think out of the gate they want to. So the top name is Pugliarvi. Uh Warren Fogel's name is another possibility. And, and you know, that name's been kind of tossed around a little bit, but it's, it's a situational thing for Yessi Pugliarvi. And I like the guy. I like the player. I think there's something there. We've seen moments and flashes of it, but we've also seen the flip side of that. And in the course of a single season, last year was a perfect example. And, you know, he, he wanted a fresh start a few years ago, went back to Finland, came back. They, uh, they mended the fences, all of that. And, here we are again, where it's the situation where both sides are open to looking and exploring at, at moving on from one another. And I know a lot of fans really like him. And I know that the war charts are, are floating out there uh, more prevalently lately. But I mean, at maybe at some point, if when Pugliarvi gets moved, he becomes the player he was expected to be. Jim, I honestly don't know, uh, given the situation, the circumstances with this organization now, uh, the the love-hate relationship, that's a harsh term, but uh, just the way it's gone here, uh, if, if he'll have that opportunity or be able to become, you know, or reach that potential uh, here in Edmonton. 
Is this a trade if it's made that has to be made before the season? Because we talked about the salary cap situation. If they go into the season with Pooley-Arby on the books and they figured out something else, are we now no longer talking about a Pooley-Arby trade? Or could this be something that we continue to talk about throughout the season? Yeah, if they found like an alternate solution and were able to keep Yesse on on the roster and, and get under the cap, um, it, it'd go away for a little bit, I think. But I do still think that if they needed to make a roster move or they needed to tweak the the lineup or the the makeup of the team in a in a certain regard, I think Pooley-Arby's name would still be in the mix for for a trade. That's just it's just kind of where the situation is now is it a perfect relationship between the player and the team no is it bad no but uh i think you know even if they kept him at the start of the season and found a way to do so get under the cap play cap gymnastics and all of that i think his name would be one that would be thrown into the the trade mix because uh it's it's just been that way and with a one-year deal at three million um that kind of sets him up for an easy trade if he starts the season really hot like he did last year. Do you think that's more likely to make him a trade candidate or less likely because the others are like, okay, well, there's something here, right? This is a player who we think has the tools we always thought he had or because he becomes so attractive to other teams who might not be looking at him at his $3 billion valuation right now, go, okay, there's a player here. Let's take a chance. Yeah, if if that did happen or if it does happen, it makes things way more complicated. And uh, the Oilers would have to reassess their their situation, and and they'd have to see where Kyler Yamamoto's at. They'd have to see the status of their right side because that that whole side with the right side, it's been kind of this work in progress. It feels like for a couple of years, you know, sometimes we're seeing Zach Hyman over on the right side, or uh, Leon Drysaddle shift over to the right side, or you know, even Evander Kane. I think has some spot duty there. But if if Puliyarvi plays well and there's harmony uh, with him and the organization, his teammates, and and all that, then that could change things. And who's to say that 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 doesn't happen? It could happen. It's just is it likely? I don't think so. Um, could it happen? Yeah, absolutely. And if it did happen, it would make things uh, way more interesting, and we would have a lot of juicy topics and discussions for for some time for sure. Yeah, we uh, we did a previous interview talking about content creation and, and ideas and topics for things that we're talking about. And Pugliarvi gives us all sorts of stuff to talk about on a regular basis if you're an Oilers yeah. fan. Uh, you mentioned the name Warren Fogle. Uh, if he's moved, if he's the solution for the Oilers and they kind of move his contract off the books, do you look at this as kind of a failed experiment with Warren Fogle or is it strictly a numbers thing? Because he was a guy who, much like Pugliarvi, was looked at as an analytics guy. A lot of people yeah. who make the argument about Pugliarvi look at his numbers, and you mentioned the war stats and stuff. Uh, they also did that with Warren Fogle. In fact, I think what I heard was that he was brought in based almost strictly on his analytic numbers and how aggressive he pushes things forward. If he is moved, is that a failed experiment, or is this just a, a money thing? It, it Ultimately, it's a money thing, and I think uh, a lot of fans and, and people who analyze this team would look at that scenario if it played out and say, hey, that that's a failure. You gave up a young, up-and-coming defenseman for this guy. Uh, he didn't give you as much as you wanted, and then you essentially uh, gave him away for cap space. So I think, you know, in terms of asset management, there would be some who are really harsh towards the team that would skewer them for it. I could see that 100%. Um, but Warren Fogle, you know, we got to see him up close for a year last year. He basically tracked how he did in years past when it comes to just straight up points. He got his 10 and 10, 20 to 20 to 30 points 
Uh, he had good moments. Uh, he went missing for stretches for sure. I'm sure confidence was a factor in that. Um, he kind of wasn't utilized that much on the PK. And I know he did actually kill some penalties in Carolina. So that probably made him a little bit more valuable when you're on the ice confidence. And, and when you're playing a lot and you trusted your confidence goes up. And there were times last year where he just wasn't playing that much and his confidence was really low. And a guy I'll, I'll point, point to who is kind of proof of that. It was Derek Ryan, like Dave Tippett barely used him. And then Derek Ryan gets a bunch of ice time with, uh, Jay Woodcroft at the helm and Derek Ryan, you know, in his interviews didn't really hold back as to why he was having success. Cause you're being put out there. You're trusted. You're in the game. And to a certain extent, I think you could say that the same thing about full. Now, is he the ideal player? Is he a power forward? No, he's a, he's a big guy with wheels who can sometimes score. They're not always pretty goals, but they all count in the end. And uh, if he winds up staying, you know, 10 and 10 push for 30 points, I think that would be ideal. That's right in his wheelhouse. And I think at this point in his career, that's basically what he is. It's not a sexy player by any means, but he is a legit NHL forward and good teams have an abundance of those. Yeah, I was going to say his numbers for people who have been following him were not that different, you know, from his no. numbers in Carolina. So I, I wouldn't blame it on the player. He's giving you exactly what you expected that you would get when you traded for him. Uh, you mentioned Tyson Berry earlier, and I believe you and I agree that I don't know that I would be moving Tyson Berry if I'm the Edmonton Oilers. But for a lot of fans, uh, he is the easy solution, right? Because you've yeah. got Evan Bouchard who's sort of taking over in that role. Oilers fans are hoping, right, that he really elevates himself to that spot. Uh, Tyson Berry is making some money. He's got some term left on his deal. What happens if Philip Broberg, a guy that the Oilers are closely watching um, as a prospect, and many believe will make the team and probably play quite a few games this year, there's some talk that he's been playing the right side in some of these on-ice sessions a lot. What happens if he really plays well? Does that open the door a little bit more for a Tyson Berry move? Or would you be keeping Broberg on the left side and you may be maybe looking at a PTO or a depth signing on the right side uh, to give yourself that that backup if you feel like you're a little, little lean in that position? Yeah. Uh, with Broberg, you're right. He has taken reps on the right side. He did say the other day he's more comfortable on the left. But, I mean, if you're a left-handed shot, it's just natural instinct to be more comfortable on your left side. If that did happen, that would be a great, revelation it'd be outstanding and a pleasant surprise i i don't know if that's going to happen and you know ryan murray getting signed was called quote unquote broberg insurance and it's hard jim for these young guys to come in as rookies in the national hockey league and be rock solid in a lot of facets of their game defensively offensively like it is a lot to take on we saw evan bouchard last year in his first full season he took a lot of steps forward but there were some rough nights and yeah a lot of people want to point at Duncan Keith and don't get me wrong. Duncan Keith had some rough nights too. And when the two of them had rough nights, it was usually a loss for the team, but with guys in their first year in the national hockey league, historically, not surprisingly consistency is what lacks. And, you know, there's moments where, and nights where they're great. There's moments and nights where you're like, boy, he is just a mess today. And so I think there's going to have to be some patience with Broberg. If it goes, Best case scenario, then yes, that could open the door to to Barry being moved out or looked at as someone who could be moved out as an asset. But I think it's a bit of a long shot. That's just my take on it. I think with Broberg, uh, patience will be a key, and he does have an inside track of making the team. It looks like unless he plays so bad in training camp in the preseason, he'll be starting the, the season on this team. 
Well, and you had mentioned for salary cap reasons too. He's one of those guys that falls into the bonus category, right? So if he plays yeah. the first game of the, the season, they don't get dinged if he gets called up after starting in the in Bakersfield. So uh, yeah, I totally see that too. Uh, last question before I let you go here today. Uh, I think for most people making the playoffs is, I don't want to say a given, nobody should assume that that's going to happen, but if they didn't and probably didn't get further in the first round, that would be considered a disappointing season for the Edmonton Oilers. Having said that, if they're buyers at the deadline, how active are they? Because Ken Holland has a history of not moving first round draft picks. Mm-hmm. The window on this team isn't closing, but it is a four or five year window with Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, those guys in, in their prime here. How active will the Oilers be? Could this be the year that you see Holland finally move a first rounder? Yeah, especially considering they've taken what the their first rounders in the last four years, and they're all in the system. My good friend Bob Stoffer likes to allude to that, rightly so. And um, I mean, Ken Holland's active. He's always calling. Like, there's a reason why any name that gets thrown out there, we hear the insiders talk about. Well, the Oilers, you know, they they're inquiring about it because Ken Holland just wants to know what's going on, and that's part of his mo. He calls all the time, so. I think he'll be active. I think he'll be trying to fine tune the team by the time the, the deadline comes around. We saw what the avalanche did uh, Manson coming in. That was a great pickup. Arturi Lekkanen was excellent. Obviously he was the one with the dagger for the Oilers in the playoffs. And then Andrew Cogliano, like he molded the team he had a great team to start the year, but he molded the team as it was going along. I think Ken Holland will try to do the same thing. He's got a great team to start with on paper. You got to play the games. You can't come out the way you did in 2017, 18, when everybody thought the Oilers were a contender. And I like the fact that the players who were on that team and on the subsequent teams are reminding themselves of how they fell apart the following two seasons and don't want to have that same scenario happen again. So this, and I laugh at people who say, Jim, oh yeah, but this is the team that lost in the conference final. It's like, yeah, you're starting with that team with better goaltending right now, in theory. Yeah. You're in a good spot in a weak division. Um, this could be a special year for the team. We'll see how it progresses. You hope the wheels don't fall off like they did five years ago. Yeah, no, it'll be an interesting season. I think there's going to be some really uh, fun nights to look forward to, but a little bit of uh, some bumpy bumpy patches, some hurdles, some things that they're going to have to yeah. figure out. But I believe they're going to be aggressive too. I think this could be a team uh, that if they feel like they can make a push, and they should have every reason to feel that way, uh, could be quite aggressive. Uh, Tom, I thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you doing that. Hopefully we get a chance to talk to you again down the road. Uh, for everybody else, it's been another edition of the NHL Trade Talk podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.